Hello, Kansas Reflector listeners. This is journalist Rachel Mebro here today with Sarah Hart Weir, Executive Director of the Kansas Council on Developmental Disabilities, and Rocky Nichols, Executive Director of the Disability Rights Center of Kansas. Welcome. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Our topic today is wait times for Kansans with disabilities. To give a brief overview, people with intellectual or developmental disabilities who want to receive assistance are usually placed on a wait list arrived by the Kansas Department for Aging and Disability Services. Now, these support waivers cover a variety of much-needed services, but wait times are stagnant and have been for years. So we'll just jump into one thing. Why does this matter? Well, for us at the Kansas Council on Developmental Disabilities, alongside many of the organizations we work with across the state of Kansas, this is the number one issue that we're trying to tackle and solve. Our real job as um, the Developmental Disabilities Council is to provide and support um, advocacy and systems change, and that's really hard to do when you're trying to innovate across the state and provide better services for individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities when individuals or self-advocates and family members and caregivers are hurt so much by our growing wait list. You know, roughly 5,100 individuals waiting 10 plus years for services when um, the state of Kansas is, while we sit here today, that is a a historic high. We must solve it and we must put forward strategies and funding in order to get the services to the individuals that deserve them. Yeah, I mean, and and it matters because real Kansans are being harmed significantly. Uh, I would encourage everyone listening to this podcast to read your three-part series, on the waiting list because it goes into great detail the lives of Kansans that have been wrecked because they're forced to wait for services. Their entire family unit, their relatives are upended because they have no supports, they have no services, and they're forced to suffer. And it hasn't always been that way. I mean, the waiting lists have gone from bad to worse to utterly out of control. Um, Physical disability waiting list is sitting at nearly 2,400. The intellectual developmental disability waiting list is at around 5,100. Around 20 years ago, the waiting list was functionally eliminated. Um, Around 20 years ago, waiting lists on the PD waiver, um, there was no waiting list. So from 1999 to 2007, that nine-year period, seven of the nine years, the waiting list was zero. It was completely eliminated. Now it's at nearly 2,400. And this wasn't, you know, generations ago. This was 20 or fewer years uh, uh, less ago. Uh, The IDD waiting list uh, in 97 after the closure of Winfield State Hospital, zero waiting list. Um, By 2000, the waiting list was a little over 300. Very manageable, though. Um, You would apply, and it would take you time to figure out, well, what services do I need? You can interview providers. And your weight was essentially, by the time you had made your decision, you were enrolled into service. So it wasn't much of a waiting list. When you really needed the service, you got into it. Um, And now the waiting list is 10 to 15 years on the IDD waiver. And so, again, this has not always been... The, the type of problem it is. And it used to have a lot more focus. When I served in the legislature uh, from 92 to 2003, uh, the waiting lists were much more manageable. Um, and in fact, in two words, they were minuscule and manageable. 
And there was a lot of focus put on it, bipartisan focus. Um, even though we had small waiting lists, we fought like the Dickens to reduce them. And there would be floor votes and working committees, Republicans, Democrats, I mean, uh, conservatives, moderates, Democrats, Phil Klein, uh, former attorney general of the state of Kansas, Mike Farmer, Fred Gatlin, Dwayne Gosen, Gary Blumenthal, Ed McKechnie. I mean, uh, it, it was bipartisan. And and there was a lot more focus. And whenever that waiting list started to creep up, we took it personally and we did something about it and we appropriated funds. The, the problem is everything has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the first 20 years of the 21st century of this millennium, the growing waiting list, the problem that it is, it really has become the darkest of dark stains on uh the public policy landscape in the state of Kansas. And Medicaid managed care was supposed to fix this. That was one of the promises. Uh, in 2013, all of Medicaid got put into a managed care arrangement. And one of the arguments was, well, we're going to do this to save money. And by saving money, we're going to put that towards eliminating the waiting list. It was clearly part of the calculus. Um, spoiler alert, that didn't happen. Um, Uh, In 2013, the physical disability waiting list was 2,000. It's now creeping up to 2,400. Now, it did go down there for a few years, so there was some progress during managed care. But after a couple years, after 2016, it was forgotten about. And now the waiting list went from 800 in 2016 to now nearly 2,400 on the physical disability waiver. IDD waiver, even worse. So 3,100 before, now it's getting close to 5,100 today. And again... It was supposed to go away. This was supposed to be the, the big solution. Medicaid managed care is going to save so much money, we're going to eliminate waiting lists. But once again, the politicians forgot about it, and all these promises were made, and the promises were never kept. So why do we see this change, though? I mean, why do we see this pile up now? Well, I think there's probably a lot of reasons that this is at an all-time horrific high in the state of Kansas, and we certainly can unpack that. You know, one of the other things that I think is so pivotally important as we talk about, you know, what has happened historically over the last 10 years of having managed care, you know, here in the state of Kansas is the opportunity that we have kind of going into this next legislative session. I think Mm -hmm. we're both at a point, DRC, the council, and many of the organizations that we work with around the state where, you know, enough with the finger pointing. We have a $2.7 billion surplus in our budget here in the state of Kansas. We have $1.4 billion in a rainy day fund. Uh, We have a Democrat governor and a Republican legislature. Let's get together. Let's roll up our sleeves and let's provide the adequate and necessary funding to start to reduce the wait list, um, both on the IDD and, and the PD. And I think that's what we're here to do. And we've appreciated so much of your coverage of, you know, individuals, Kansans that are impacted by these wait lists day in and day out here really all across the state. This isn't, you know, um, wedded to one particular community. This is happening all across Kansas. And that's really what we're here kind of to talk about and focus on as we go into the next couple of months is what's that plan? How can we work together and put people over politics? Because this is this is what it's all about. Yeah. And and, and also to do, to do some truth telling, right? T- to know where 
we need to go. We need to understand where we've been. And on waiting list funding, where we've been in the last several years is in a horrible place. And that's why we have this huge problem. That's why it's gotten so bad. Uh, the, the governor and the Kansas legislature have basically stopped providing increases to address the waiting list in the last several years. So let's just, you know, tell the truth. Let's start with the governor. Uh, the last time a governor recommended in their budget to increase funding to reduce uh, HCBS waiting lists was Sam Brownback back in fiscal year 2016, nine fiscal years ago. Um, so unfortunately, Governor Kelly has not yet recommended a single increase to address the waiting list in any of the budgets she's proposed to the legislature. Now, I do think that I'm very hopeful we'll see a change in that. We have met with the governor's staff. I know they're taking it very seriously. I know KDADS has made a recommendation for an increase. They made a recommendation last year for an increase. KDADS recommended the year before for an increase. So I'm very hopeful, and I know the governor is very much engaged on this. But that's where we are thus far. Uh, on the legislature, they haven't done much better. Um, they, the legislature has only added money to reduce the waiting list one year out of the last eight years. And that one time in the last eight years wasn't much to write home about. It was $1.3 million SGF, $3 million all funds. Uh, both waiting lists got that amount, PD and IDD. And it took very few people off the list, a total of around 150 the waiting lists at the time were over 4.3 or uh, uh, 4,300. That's a little over 3% of the people getting served. And the waiting lists have only grown since then. So when you look at the numbers and you look how the waiting lists have gotten so much worse, particularly over the last eight years, it's because uh, the legislature and the governor have not stepped up to fund new slots to reduce the waiting list. That's the only thing that's going to get that addressed. And so, you know, when politicians are taking political s swats at each other and they're fighting, I mean, obviously that is what it is. That's, that's part of the system. Um, but we need them to work together to, to fix this issue. And we need them to understand that they may think that they've addressed some of these issues, but they haven't. For example... The governor's spokesperson in, your, in one of your articles uh, was quoted as saying that the administration had invested, quote, a historic amount uh, during the governor's tenure to, quote, reduce wait times on the IDD waiver. That's frankly not true. Wait times have only increased on the IDD waiver, and the waiting list has only increased. Uh, it was 1,500 in 2018. It's now 2300 on the PD waiver. It was 3700 in 2018 on the IDD waiver. It's now nearly 5100 So funding increases were provided, but it wasn't for the waiting list. It was specifically to enrich providers. It was for provider rates, and we'll get into that here in a minute. But I think there's, there are many who seem to equate uh, funding provider rate increases with addressing the rating, waiting list, and it has not addressed the waiting list. It was never intended to address the waiting list. And so I think that's something that has to be 
you know, talked about. Right. So we've heard a lot of different arguments like, oh, we can't fix the list because of this or that. Um, one of the ones I've heard is that we don't have the funding. And then the other part of this is that we don't have enough resources. We don't have enough providers in this state to actually take care of all the peoples. So the argument again is if we even got this list funded and all the people, you know, gives that money, we wouldn't have enough providers to take care of everyone who was then off the wait list. Now, is this a false argument? Are they just kind of passing the buck here? Well, I think that's a, a great question, and we've certainly heard you know similar comments be being made all around the state. I think from our perspective, and it's one of the reasons that the council has kind of unveiled our what we call our WWW campaign, where we are holistically in addressing this from a comprehensive perspective. We've got to address the wait list. We got to address the workforce, and we got to address the wages. You know what Rocky just you know, uh, went through in terms of some of those rate and wage increases, you know, we've seen a lot in, in the recent legislative sessions and that's great. And that's adding a lot of value, but at the same time, you know, nothing has been done to reduce the wait list and it keeps growing and growing and growing. And so with this point in time where our state sits from a budget perspective, now's the time to make those significant investments. We're also pushing forward other strategies to address the workforce shortage, to address um, more flexibility for um, individuals and families to provide their own level of paid family caregiving. Um, that certainly has been something that KDADS has done a fantastic job especially in light of coming out of the COVID pandemic, how do we expand opportunities to ensure that, you know, parents or family members can get compensated for um, paid family caregiving opportunities? Um, you all did some great coverage of our recent announcement around um, targeting ABLE education to individuals with IDD um, on the wait list. ABLE accounts certainly can provide a source for individuals to access their own caregiver and pay their own caregiver through their ABLE account. So we're doing a lot of that, but we can't, it can't be one or the other. And, you know, our argument here is it's really been the other on the mm -hmm. rate and the wage increases. We've got to have um, more action, more accountability and more forward progress to reduce right. this. And, and now's the time. I mean, it's really a false narrative. And, and so this is the false narrative that you have to focus on provider rates in order to have the capacity to reduce waiting lists. And so I'm going to walk you through that false, false narrative, because first you have to understand, well, what has the legislature done on provider rates versus on the waiting list? And then you have to understand, okay, what does the data say about that narrative, that you have to do provider rates in order to reduce the waiting list? So um, first, the difference in funding of what the state of Kansas has done to reduce the waiting list versus increased provider rates is like night and day. Uh, over the last eight years, Kansas has increased HCBS IDD waiver provider rates by $234.2 million, all funds. That same eight-year period of time, they've increased um, waiting list funding to reduce the waiting list on the IDD waiver by $3 million, all funds. So that's a, that's a gap of $231.2 million. And when you do the math, uh, they have put 78 times the amount of funding into increasing provider rates 
versus into reducing um, the IDD waiting list. And so that those are just the numbers. So choose your favorite trite quote. <laughs> Night and day, <laughs> feast versus famine, um, a flood versus a drought. None of them do justice to the fact that we've put 78 times more money into provider rates than we have in the waiting list. And we're telling everyone we're addressing waiting lists. If you address provider rates, it's a very good thing. Mm -hmm. But what you've done is you've addressed provider rates. Um, uh, On the PD waiver, um, uh, it's not quite as dramatic. but, But in a vacuum, the difference of what they put into provider rates versus what they've put into uh, dollars to reduce the waiting list. On its own, if I didn't just just tell you the IDD one, you'd be like, oh my goodness, they're putting so much more money into provider rates. But by comparison, it pales by comparison. On the PD waiver, 22.5 million all funds to provider rates, 3 million all funds for waiting list. Uh, That's a gap of 19.5 million, or they're putting seven times the amount of funding into provider rates versus into reducing the waiting list. Seven times versus 78 times. No matter how you slice it, that is just dramatically providing more money to one thing versus the other. So you have to know what we've done on the funding first to to understand how that narrative is such a false narrative. Mm -hmm. So again, the narrative is we have to focus on provider rates in order to reduce the waiting list. So I want to really hit this squarely. <clears throat> the false narrative kind of goes like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, waiting lists are long. They're so long. You know, some even make the argument, uh, you're never going to be able to do anything about it. We're always going to have waiting lists. Well, never mind 20 years ago, we didn't have waiting lists. We, we know how to not have them. But, you know, the real key is you, you have to have capacity. You have to fund provider rates. You have to focus on that to reduce a waiting list. And without that, you can't reduce a waiting list. That's a false narrative. If that narrative was true, when provider rates increase, the wait times and the waiting list would decrease, right? Uh, the opposite has happened. When provider rates increase, um, guess what? The waiting list has also increased because provider rates don't have the correlation of reducing the waiting list. Provider rates increase provider rates, and they're important. Don't get me wrong. I think providers uh, have been underpaid for years, and there did need to be increases in HCBS provider rates. It's something we have supported. But uh, the argument is higher provider rates creates capacity. That capacity then reduces the waiting list. That isn't what has happened. So you can compare any data point with these documents, um, and you'll find that uh, so let, let's go back to when there wasn't a, uh, a waiting list, right? So let's go back to the early 2000s. Provider rates were abysmally low. Um, you know, in, in many times, you look through the list, provider rates um, just in 2009 were 95% lower on some, 35%, 272%, 53%. You look through the list, there's, you know, a dozen of them that were 46% lower. Um, but guess what? The waiting list was lower. Go back another 10 years to 1999, 2000, uh, basically a couple of decades ago, provider rates were even worse off. They were even lower. But the waiting list was also lower. Why? 
because the only thing that reduces the waiting list is funding new slots and funding new slots to get people into services. And back in the late 90s and early 2000s, we were funding new slots uh, to reduce the waiting list. Um, And yeah, we probably should have been doing some provider rate increases back then too. But it's gotten so lopsided the other direction when you're putting 78% more funding into provider rates than you're putting into the waiting list. That's a real issue. So I think it's an incredibly false narrative. And if you look at the data, um, it it really shows that. And again, I'm not saying don't increase ATBS waiver rates um, anymore in the future. In fact, the support and employment rate is abysmal. It's an embarrassment. It's the lowest in the nation. It's it, it, it needs to be fixed, and, and we have faith in <laughs> yeah we have faith that KDADS, the governor, and the legislature are going to get that right and fix it. And I'm not saying waiver rates for providers are unimportant; they are important. Uh, there is a, a crisis in hiring people. I run a nonprofit. It's very difficult to find qualified candidates to yeah, do to do context, those difficult jobs. What is the rate yeah. right now? Um, let's talk about these rates. Can you give me some of the numbers for that? Like, yeah. what are we seeing right now in terms of if you're on that waiver, what can you expect? Yeah. So, well, first on the supported employment rate, it's 12 bucks an hour mm-hmm. and most states are over 50. So it's just abysmal. But other than that, um, you know, most of the rates for like residential support, um, uh, Seventy-two ninety-nine, which is a forty-five percent increase since two thousand nine, mm-hmm. and so most of the rates have been increased nearly fifty percent, and some have been increased over fifty percent since two thousand nine. During that same period of time, the waiting list has gone up, and so I think we've tilted a little too far one way, and and we need to not just tilt; we need to, um, to to quote um, the Senate President and the Speaker of the House. Uh, be laser focused mm-hmm. on eliminating these waiting lists, and um, you know it's it's a serious problem. And not that provider rates aren't a problem, but it's just a waiting list is just harming people just right. hor- horribly. And going away from the provider rates, why are we seeing this hesitation to fund more slots as like a stopgap measure? You know, I think obviously we're coming out of a pandemic. You know, we're in going through the third iteration of can care or managed care. I think there's probably a lot of uh, reasons why that's bubbling up to the surface. One of the reasons I'm very excited is that I think we have a new perspective. Um, we have this, you know, just like the speaker and just like the Senate president said, laser focus on the IDD wait list. We're laser focused on it as well. We have an army of parents, uh, family members, and self-advocates behind us that are also laser focused on this. So I think there's a lot of reasons. Um, One thing, Rachel, you asked that I wanted to go back to is, you know, one of the reasons I think we're seeing an increase in the number of individuals on the wait list. And this is one of the reasons why I kind of went in, I became a disability activist. Um, you, we see a lot of issues. Um, we're making up for, for decades of very outdated, archaic policy. I mean, a lot of the programs that were designed to support individuals with disabilities, you know, Rocky and I talk a lot about the issue of subminimum wage, Medicaid. These were all designed at a time when we were still institutionalizing 
people with Down syndrome and other developmental disabilities and the ability for our lawmakers and our elected officials to come together and modernize public policy and design better programs to support individuals, you know, is something we all, you know, try and tackle and address and challenge, you know, ourselves every day. I think the reality of where we are right now, not just in Kansas, but across the country is that it's actually something we should celebrate. Individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities are living longer. And with that comes this challenge of um, these individuals, our individuals are outliving mom and dad and other caregivers. And so the population is increasing. You're dealing with that dynamic. And so to, you know, come back to Kansas and come back to our wait list, the fact that on the IDD wait list, you know, the way individuals are getting to the front of the line is when they become a crisis situation um, because mom and dad are likely no longer here. And that's not that's not a way to lead. That's not a way to innovate. And that's not a way to modernize public policy. And so I think that's why we're again, I love the, the term laser focused mm-hmm. on coming together with where our budget is in the state of Kansas with the um, amount of focus on increasing rates over the last several years to come together to address this other side of the equation that really is, at the end of the day, about the individual and the family. And I think that's, you know, pivotally important to, you know, the message we need to send to lawmakers kind of going into this next legislative session. Yeah. And I know the data is very you know, very much kind of a downer. I mean, because the data, the data shows that this <laughs> the Kansas, that the Kansas is, the, the Kansas is failing, uh, people on the PD and IDD waiver, but there is hope. And, you know, for example, the, the Senate president and the speaker of the house jointly said in your article that Republicans are laser focused on eliminating Medicaid waiting lists. And I think that's incredibly hopeful. And I take them at the word. I think they're sincere in that desire uh, to have that laser, laser focus, we'll be working with them on that. And it's a perfect time to be having this discussion because, as Sarah pointed out, you got $1.7 billion in excess revenue. You got $1.4 billion sitting in a rainy day fund. There's over $4 billion up for grabs there. And yes, we want the legislature laser focused on this because as a state, we've lost our focus over the last several years, and that's harming too many people. And you know, just just for your listeners out there, you know, just to give you an idea of what happens if if you're languishing for services, I'll just give you an example of a person with quadriplegia. So, a person who uh, was in an auto accident, got hit by a drunk driver through no fault of their own, um, is now a person with quadriplegia. They're on the waiting list for the physical disability waiver. And um, uh, they otherwise qualify for Medicaid services. So they can go see their doctor. You know, they, they, can, they can, you know, if, to, to get their MRIs done, to get their scans done. They can go see their doctor. They can go see their physical therapist. Uh, they can go do different medical things. But on long-term services and supports, LTSS, those are the things covered by HCBS, Home and Community-Based Services Waiver Programs. You can only get that once you've cleared the waiting list. And so 
the the real sad part of all this is they can get all these medical services provided, but then they don't have the supports that they need to be able to get out the door to get to those medical services. So they can't fund a personal care giver to come over and help them transition from the bed to their power chair because the waiver service pays for that. The waiver service pays for someone to come in and install a catheter because they need a catheter. Uh, They need help with toileting. They can't transfer from their power chair to the toilet. Uh, Maybe they use a sip and puff. Maybe they use uh, a piece of assistive technology. uh, And they need uh, a person to assist them with those different devices. Those in-home personal care services, those services are covered by the waiver. So, yeah, if they have a friend or family member who has $10,000 to buy a lift for their van and install it, yeah, that family member can come and, um, you know, move them from their house to the car. They haven't had a ramp installed, so, you know, maybe it takes two or three people to move them, and maybe the person gets bruises because they're not a professional personal care attendant. They're not a nurse. They don't understand how to do these things. And maybe you can get them to the doctor's visits. But then what have you done to our society? Now, all of a sudden, you have people saying, well, I can't take this shift. I've got to go help this person. You know, this person's my relative. I have to go help them do this. When it's the state who should be providing those HCBS services. So uh, people are not just suffering in silence, just waiting for some nebulous thing. They're waiting for the very services and supports that can assist them in their activities of daily living to help accommodate their disabilities, to help them be full citizens to help them be able to get out of bed, to help them, you know, be able to make breakfast in the morning. Because if you're a person with quadriplegia, you, you know, may not be able to do that. Or chances are you won't. Or you'll have limitations. And maybe there's some things you can do and some things your direct care worker can do. I mean, and that's just one example. I mean, so it, 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 it causes real pain to people in the state of Kansas. Right. And we know this is an urgent problem. We know we've got the funding involved for it. And you two have been working in this field for so long. Um, so you think this year we actually have a shot at change, long-lasting change? Or what are you thinking right now? Are you hopeful? Are you feeling frustrated? Well, I, I think working in this community for 20-plus years can never really get frustrated. I think, you know, it comes down to rolling up your sleeves and offering common sense solutions to address those problems and those challenges that are right in front of you. And this challenge and um, the the historic wait lists that were wait lists where that we're seeing in Kansas is certainly right in front of us. And it's probably the biggest challenge facing Kansans um, all across the state. So I'm hopeful, um, but I think between the two organizations and the army of advocates that we have behind us, we are going to be laser focused and we're not going to take no for an answer. And we've got to put a plan, long-term plan in place to address the wait list, to fully fund it and get the services and supports to individuals who need yeah. it all across the state. I mean, it's, it's trust, but verify, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's why the Big Tent Coalition has made its recommendation to reduce both the PD and IDD waiting lists by 20%. Um, the governor has said publicly that the waiting list is a top priority for her. 
the Republican leadership have have said it's a top priority for them. In fact, they've said they're going to be laser focused on it. That's great. Um, we do know KDADS has proposed an increase in their budget. They propose funding uh, 500 slots on the IDD waiver and 500 slots on the PD waiver. Um, that's basically the Big Tent Coalition's recommendation on the PD waiter, waiver, and it's half of the Big Tent Coalition's on the IDD waiver. So we're hopeful that the governor will take it the full way and and fund the entire Big Tent Coalition because we're we're more than halfway there. We check the box on the PD with the KDAD's recommendation. If the governor uh, doubles the IDD, we're there. And we will have done something incredible. Um, but KDADS has made recommendations the last two years to address this, and it hasn't ended up in the governor's budget. I'm hopeful that's going to change this this year. But we have to be realistic, and we're, we're not going to let up. I mean, we're not just going to take people's words for it. We're going to hold them accountable because, really, I kind of feel like Charlie Brown. And I feel like the legislature and the governor, whoever they have been in the past, is Lucy on this issue. Because with Medicaid managed care, they promise we're going to eliminate the waiting list. We're going to have so much savings, the waiting list is going to be eliminated. So Lucy's holding that ball, and we're running at it. And then, good grief, the ball is pulled out of the way, and we're flat on our back. Uh, the last several years, last eight years, Medicaid expansion has been a hot topic. And then, unfortunately, this has been you know uh, molded into it. And the legislature said, well, we don't want to do expansion. We want to focus on the waiting list. So there's Lucy holding that ball again. And you're like, I'm going to kick it this time. This is the year. And then what happens? They pull it away because only one year in the last eight years have they provided any increase, the legislature. And it was only $3 million all funds. And again, it paled by comparison with the amount they provided to provider rate increases. So I'm hopeful we're finally going to make connection with this ball. And, and, you know, we're going to get a field goal, but we're going to make certain that we hold people accountable and make certain that they put their money where their mouths are on this and they actually begin the process to eliminate the waiting list. We'll end it there on a note of hopeful caution. Thank you both for showing up today. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Our pleasure. Our pleasure.